Welcome to the Jeff and Alex podcast. I am Jeff Hillemeyer, and with my friend, Alex Gonzalez, we explore topics that help you be your best self. And we also get to chat with some great guests. So join us now on the Jeff and Alex podcast. Hello, Jeff Hillemeyer. How's it going? All right. And welcome, everyone, to the Jeff and Alex podcast. And um, Jeff and I are here. And as we get this series going, one of the things we thought we would do is make sure that you all get to know us. And uh, Jeff has had a chance to talk to me and has learned some stuff about me I don't think he knew about. And which is kind of crazy as we've done each other. We figured out we didn't realize we knew over 10 years. And so I'm actually excited about this because you know, when you get into just kind of your stuff, you sometimes don't get a chance to really get to know somebody mm-hmm. or ask the question. So, so Jeff, I'm looking forward to this. Well, me too. Yeah. I learned a lot of stuff talking to you. So I don't know if I have such good, uh, good stories, but we'll see. As long as you start crying by the time we're done, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> That's my goal. All right. No, I am feeling kidding. a little dramatic this morning. So let's see. Oh, boy. <laughs> Well, let's, 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 uh, let's start out um, and, and kind of get really fundamental. And um, I thought I saw somewhere that you were born in Chicago. Is that a tr- truth or, or, or lie? Yeah, that's a truth. So, so uh, what's, your, what's your childhood? So give me your journey and how you got yeah. to, I know you went to uh, UNC Charlotte, but kind of what's, where, where, where'd your, where was your childhood at? And how'd mm-hmm. you get up to your adult life? Yeah, I was born in Chicago, just outside of Chicago, um, but we moved down to Atlanta when I was probably three or four years old. So I, I really oh, wow. consider myself um, a true Atlantan. Uh, yeah, we moved to Stone Mountain and, um, you know, mm. my, my, my sister and I and my mom. And then um, after a couple of years, my mom remarried and then um, we had two other sisters. So I have two sisters that are, you know, 10 and 12 years younger than me. Um, and then one that's three years younger than me. Um, so it was the four of us growing up in, in Stone Mountain, Georgia. Yeah. Wow. And so um, you grew up in Stone Mountain. Did you pretty much stay in the Stone Mountain area the entire time until you became an yeah, adult? That's or right. went up yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think our senior year, we moved out to Gwinnett, um, but I, I kept going to Stone Mountain High School. Um, and uh, that's when I started dating my now wife. So we, we've been together since we were really? six, 16 years old. Yeah. Oh, I thought, I thought you were going to say six. I'm like, wow, that's, I've heard <laughs> of high little... sweethearts, but never kindergarten <laughs> sweethearts. But... <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. So, wow. Okay. We, we can spend the next hour on that. Um, so, <laughs> so, so you met her at 16 yeah. and did you date pretty continuously since uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. through college and everything? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm 44 now. And um, yeah, we've been dating since maybe it was just after right around when we both turned 17. Um, But uh, yeah, so, you know, more than half my life, we've been together. Yeah. Nonstop through college, then got married after college. And we just celebrated our 20th year anniversary. That's wow. That's great. And stop bragging about your age, you know, yeah. <laughs> 50 year old on the call, but yeah. we're still Gen yeah. Xers. That um, is uh, that is one thing I skipped though. I was born on leap day. So, um, oh, so you're I'm, really not 44. You're probably 62, uh, right? <laughs> no opposite. <laughs> I'm 11. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I wasn't yeah. sure if you already counted your leap in it. That's why I'd leave right. it to fake 44. Right. No. And you just do really good. And that's right. That's right. Oh, wow. So uh, every four years, I'll make sure to get you something. Okay. Yeah, perfect. So it's a lecture I missed this year. So I'll get you in about four, three and a half years. Um, <laughs> so all right. So you went, uh, where'd you go to college then? 
Yeah, I went to UNC Charlotte. Um, actually went the f- so I was playing tennis um, and and wanted to play tennis in college. And I actually for two years went to a very small school called Limestone College. Um, oh, yeah. It, uh, it it's like in South Carolina. It's about um, three hours uh, north of Atlanta um, or uh, eastish. And uh, I went there to get better at tennis. I mean, I, I was con- consumed with being a better player and playing division one. And so then I transferred um, for my junior year and finished out at UNC Charlotte. Gotcha. Now, here's the part that actually, I don't even know the answers to and I should, but I don't. Uh, you went to college, UNC Charlotte. You call yourself, uh, you know, a lifelong entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Was that truly since day one or what was your first step outside of college in terms of getting to the working world? Yeah. So I studied computer science in college and um, quickly fell in love with building websites with my college roommate. Mm. It was, uh, I guess, 96, 97 and the internet, the, the web was new. And so my roommate could do graphic design pretty well. And so I would build websites from the code perspective. He'd, he'd put the creative on it. And so then in, in our senior year, um, we decided to start a company. So since senior year of college in the dorm room, I've been um, essentially running, running my own companies. I've never had a, a job. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. Well, that, that I, could, I could vouch for that, but it's yeah, in a good yeah. way. So, right. all right. So let's talk about that. So that's, that's kind of a, kind of a classic entrepreneurial story out of college. I just didn't drop out. If I had dropped out, it would be the classic. True, yeah. If you story. went to, if you went to Harvard or Stanford and dropped out, yeah. then we would have had it. And but I got of course, the you would have been a billionaire, right? You would have been a billionaire. That <laughs> right. <case>. But, yep. <laughs> so computer science too, actually that I find that, you know, in fact, one of the things I was going to ask you about is on the spectrum of, being highly creative or highly analytic, where do you put yourself? And I had, I kind of had a guess in my head, but the computer science degree is throwing me a little bit. Where would you put you in that spectrum? Oh, that's such a good question. I, if those are the two options, um, and you could, and it could be a range too. So there could be a scale there. It's not absolute. Yeah. I, 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 so I'm not very creative. Um, like if, Hmm. if we were to do some improv, I'd probably be terrible at it. I'm just not, um, great at that. Um, what I always was able to do was to work really hard and um, decide I was going to do something and focus on that and do that thing. Um, and so, I, but I'm also not I, like, I don't like sitting and looking at data um, the way that some people do. So I don't know. I go by God a little bit, um, maybe more passion um, in what I do, vision, um, leading, you know, so since I was younger, I was always finding myself in leadership positions. And so um, I definitely would not call myself very creative. Um, although although the funny thing is a little birdie that, you know, knows you well, uh, uh, calls you a creative spirit and your ability oh, to float around and get into different <laughs> projects and keep driving, having different ideas. So, so part of me, I think it's also that definition of what is creative because okay. immediately you went to the art side of it. I think creative is is a much broader spectrum. It's about problem solving, mm. inspiring new ideas and all that. So you're probably more on the creative spectrum than, than you. Yeah, I guess that's think. probably true. Yeah, I yeah. guess that's probably true. Because I know you're not like, because you're not, and, and you know, and actually this is actually interesting from an entrepreneur perspective, you are not kind of your classic coder. I mean, you had a computer science degree, but do you, I mean, have you, do you ever sit down and write lines of code for 
for your company? Not anymore, but I did the first couple of years. Um, okay. But it, it, it only took about two years before I realized that um, this wasn't my passion and there are people who are really good at it and I was just average. Um, so quickly, that, that's probably the reason that I, you know, as we were a two or three or four person company in the early years, um, Spun Logic was the company uh, that I, I became, it's probably one of the reasons I became the CEO is because the others were better at actually doing <laughs> the things we were doing. They were more talented. And than Jack doesn't know what he's doing. Let's just give him CEO and <laughs> right. collect, promote, collect payments. <laughs> promote me up until I'm not messing things up. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. So SpunLogic was, is your, was your first company then. And mm -hmm. um, so, so tell us about that journey. So you, you talked about how you found it and mm -hmm. you had a partner so kind of how did spun logic evolve and and did, and did you end up yeah. doing the same thing you intended to do yeah so okay so it was actually originally called nbn designs nothing but net because charlotte at the time was a really good basketball school um, right we'd get to like the we'd get into the tournament and 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 win a win a game or two so that was the best raj raj chowdhury right. was my college roommate um best thing we could come up with was nbn designs so for two or three years, we were NBN Designs. We went from the dorm room to my parents' um, basement in Snellville, Georgia. Um, worked out of there for about a year. Tech Mecca of the South. That's <laughs> exactly right. The bit, the, the, um, so the, we're one year into the business. This is um, like June, July, August of 99. We had started the business in November 98. We were in the, in the basement. Um, and, uh, just scratching and clawing to get any projects, you know, the only paying client we had had to that point was my aunt in Chicago who let us build her website, um, uh, for a couple hundred bucks. Um, and so Raj was actually traveling around the world. His parents gave him a round the world trip ticket to, um, uh, for graduation. Wow. So he was, he was graduating. I like to kid him that they only did that cause they thought they'd never have to cash that check. Um, but so, so he was in New Zealand, um, and I had uh, recruited my best friend, Danny Davis to drop out of, um, graduate school and join our company, Wow! We, which was a, which was a nothing. I mean, we were in, he, and so he moved into my parents' basement and lived in there where we did our work. Wow. So it was the three of us, but Raj was traveling. So Raj, um, sends me a note and says, Hey, this guy's going to call you. I've been talking to him about building a website for queenstown.com and so, all right, I, I, I don't know that the phone, I, I think I had to like move stuff away to figure out where the phone even was. Nobody was calling us. Um, and so I picked up the phone, NBN Designs, this is Jeff. And, and the guy says, is, is this NBN Designs corporate, corporate US headquarters? <laughs> I was like, yep, that's, you got that's us. Right. So after an hour talking on the phone with the guy, he says, okay, I wanna fly you out to New Zealand and uh, spend a week with me, you and Raj, we're going to come up with the, the plan to build this website and, um, and, and then send you back and, and we'll get going. So I was like, sure. So I, I was coaching tennis at the time at a country club during the days, building websites at night and weekends. So I, uh, I flew out to New Zealand, you know, I, I must've been 22, um, spent a week there. When we left, when I left, when I flew back, we had a signed contract to build queenstown.com for $65,000. Wow. The biggest thing we'd ever done was, again, I think it was $250 for my And, and now you told me your age, that was a long time ago. So that was a lot of money. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. It was, we thought we were rich. So, yeah. so, so then what we did was we, we got back, we had a signed contract. We moved out of the basement into the back of a fitness center that was um, interesting, <laughs> but, but we had our own office. Wow. Uh, we, Raj canceled the rest of his trip, moved to Atlanta. I quit coaching tennis. Um, Danny had been waiting tables at nights, coding during the day. So he quit the job. So we were all in on this business. Um, we're working on the website for a couple of months. It's January of 2000. And the guy sends us a note, um, after being silent for a week or two and says, um, Hey, I've got some bad news. My company went bankrupt and we got to cancel the project. Now this is before we ever had to, uh, ever knew to get any money up front. So we never got a dime from him. Yeah. So at the time that felt obviously devastating. And that led to years and years of I can't tell you how many credit cards I, I put personal credit cards um, to just fund anything to payroll, whatever we were doing. This is when like your parents were like bankrolling you or anything. I mean, you really had to, you yeah, know, they had no idea. Like, so the, yeah, they, I was really not sharing much. Um, I think yeah. pride was there where I just, I was like, well, I'm telling people I have my own company. I have to make yeah. this work. Sure. But what I look back on is that moment um, forced us to be all in on the business. And so I've always kept that with me that hmm. to build something, to, to start a company, to do something extraordinary, you have to put everything you have into it. If you want to be successful, you can't assume, I mean, it's so hard to do anyway for you to assume that you can do it with half your energy or a portion of your energy. Just it's, you know, it, it's, it's not going to happen. So, so from that point for the next several years, we just were like, all right, we've got to figure out how to make this work. And I ended up with over, over, I think a three year, three or four year period over a hundred thousand dollars in credit card debt, um, juggling cards. So as you can imagine a 22 year old, I got like my first credit card and I think I had like a, a, a $250 limit yeah. and then <laughs> I would fill that up and then I would get a second card that oh, had a sure. 0% balance transfer. And I transferred the 250 under that card. I call the first company and say, Hey, uh, I'm such a good customer of yours. I paid it off. Can I get this doubled? But then they'd say, all right, you got a $500 limit. And I kept juggling cards. And I, I think I had like 15 cards, $100,000 in debt. And my wife, my uh, parents, no, nobody ever knew. So your wife, okay, you just had, you just. Because I, in my mind, I considered them business cards. Um, yeah. Like they're, but they're in my name. Like there's right. no, so it was all attached to me. But yeah, the. And, and you're joint credit with your wife. Not at the time. So when yeah. I started off, actually, all this was just in my name, but yes, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Attached. Yeah. And then, you know, a year after that or so we got married, but we could only survive. Um, we could only afford an apartment for a year. And then we moved in with my mom for a year and lived in her like attic uh, apartment thing. So yeah, the first three or four years were real tough trying to figure out how to, how to build a company. So how was your, cause interesting hearing all these journeys and, um, you know, I talk about this kind of development of grit you know, that you get, which I'm sure you, you talk so much about that, but also, you know, having someone you love kind of being part of that journey, did, when, when you look, when you think about your, I guess, fiance or girlfriend at the time, soon to be wife, or even when, when you got married, mm -hmm. how was that partnership in terms of pursuing something that some would perceive highly risky? Because entrepreneurism is risky. Uh, yeah. to some extent, it's not for everybody. How did that go? Or was it more of, I trust you, Jeff, just, you know, just do what you do. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, <clears throat> our first year of marriage, she was um, a counselor <clears throat> and made, let's call it $30,000 that year. And I am sure I lost more than $30,000 right. that first year. <laughs> so that's why we had to move in with my mom. Um, you know what? She never, um, never did anything but supported me and believed in me from the beginning. And there was no reason to, I mean, I had, you know, I'd never done anything like that. I didn't even have yeah, a business yeah. degree. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, from, from the beginning, she supported me and, um, encouraged me and, um, listened. Um, but I, I also didn't share a ton cause it was just so nutty and crazy. Um, um, but yeah, no, I, it's a great question. She's, I, I, I guess, I guess because we're soulmates, Alex. That'll be a future episode. We'll, we'll have. <laughs> Tell me Single the truth. Single tear. <laughs> exactly. I'm trying to what, break it, Jeff. So, so here's what I'll I'll just say. Fast forward to to when I started Dragon Army. I yeah. was like, all right. So now I, you know, I'm skipping a couple of things, but I've built and sold multiple companies. You know, uh, I don't know, late 30s, and I I told her I said, okay, I'm I'm ready to start my next company. And I think that was a harder conversation than when, when I was 22 doing it, because now we've got a, a life, yeah. we've got kids, we've got family, and, and yet I actually have done it before, <laughs> but she, right. we, had lot, we had way more conversations this time than we ever did in the past, even right. though I've, I've had success. <laughs> Sometimes when you know what you have access to, it, it gives you a little bit more like, well, do I really want to take this risk? So, so let's, yeah. let's, let's kind of focus a little bit on that, then that, that time uh, you had this, this element of high risk. You put a lot of money, uh, personal debt, a lot of grit. So how did you recover from this, you know, canceled mm -hmm. contract that sounds like it actually gave you kind of the grit, like I'm all in, we're going to make this work, which is by the way, I think it's, an X factor for so many leaders yeah. period is what, what is that moment? So kind of talk a little bit about that journey to where eventually spun logic, you yeah. end up selling or uh, spinning it off. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we just did everything we could, you know, the classic term hustle. Um, we would, I mean, almost if anyone needed us to do anything, any client, we would do it. Um, so we were mostly building websites, but we would go to other agencies and we'd say, Hey, you know, they were, let's say they were a great creative shop. We'd say, we're a fantastic development shop. We'd love to do the development side of your projects mm. and then immediately go to another agency that was a tech shop and say, you guys are great at tech. We're so good at creative. We'd like to do the creative portion of yours. So we were like anything and everything, we would take it and do it. Right. Um, we, uh, a couple years later, um, we, we realized we needed to change the name, um, um, partly yeah. because Roger's from England. And when he said NBN Designs, nobody could understand the N or the M or it was <laughs> constant. <laughs> so yeah. we're like, we got to do this. So here's what we did. So we came up with four possible names. SpunLogic was one. And, and, and you won't believe, actually, I think it was five. You won't believe that we didn't realize SpunLogic was the best. So we had SpunLogic, we had Cracker Snap which we actually liked the best. Um, uh, brain stick uh, and code word nine. And I think there was a, 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 another one. So we had these names and we all wore, um, we went to a networking event and we all wore a name <laughs> tag with a different name to see reactions. Yeah. And uh, Spun Logic by far won the day. So that's why we, we changed the name. To uh, there's Spun one Logic. or two that I imagine may have gotten you kicked out. 
Yeah, probably so. <laughs> probably so. <laughs> so yeah, but I'm, I'm telling you, we thought Cracker Snap was going to be the winner. We were all yeah. Winning. Well, I'm going to kind of maybe reverse course of my creative comment, but you know, we'll, we'll right. keep moving See? on. But <laughs> there you go. So so here's so then we're we're five years into Spun Logic. Um, yeah. Looking back, the thing that I think uh, helped us the most was we um, we decided to have a focus for the company. And we uh, landed on the idea of user experience being something that we thought we could go all in on. So whether we were building a website, working on an email campaign, whatever it was, we would go all in on the user who was going to be experiencing that thing. Today, companies have entire user experience departments, but back yeah. then it was relatively new. Oh yeah. So, and what that did, it wasn't that user experience was so unique. It was that it gave my company the ability to speak the same language and to be passionate about the same thing, to have a focus. It did, I honestly think it didn't matter what it was um, looking back. It just was that we had something. So then when we hired people, we were talking about user experience. But when we went to pitches, it was all about user experience. And so you just get better if sure. you have something that you can rally around. So from, from I, I look back at that moment. From that point, we doubled for five straight years. Um, our revenue went something like, Annual revenue went, let's call it two hundred thousand dollars one year to four fifty, four hundred fifty thousand to one point one million to two point two million to four point five million to nine million. So we just Thanks. double, double, doubled, got to nine million by year ten, and we had always wanted to sell the company. That was always our our plan. Um, yeah. And and so once we got to that size, um, we started the process of of um, putting our company out there for potential buyers and got a lot of interest. Um, so this was all, almost all through 2007, we were having meetings, talking to companies about acquiring us. And then um, we ended up selling in um, March of 2008, right before the, the economic crash. Yeah. Um, it, was, it couldn't have been better timing because people were trying to deploy money um, because they saw sort of maybe a recession coming. Um, everyone right. else in the Southeast, we were the largest independent agency in the Southeast at the time. Wow. Everyone else had sold. Um, so that's when we ended up um, really getting excited about this new concept called Engage. Um, and, and we sold to them um, late March of 08. Wow, and, and now I notice that, um, you know, uh, some of your adoring fans know this already, but you've also recently started a, a, uh, a video uh, or podcast series uh, called Spun Mafia. That's so, right. <laughs> uh, so t tell me about the relationship with your founders, because obviously this is a, a series yeah. that talked with your fellow co-founders. What what made you want to bring that the gang back together there, and what's a what's special about the relationship? Yeah. So we there were there was another. So there was Danny Davis, Raj Chowdhury, and then Raghu Kakarala. Um, he was the fourth partner. Joined us like year three or four. Um, so there were four of us and. Um, we, you know, we went, look, we had arguments, we, it was crazy, but we right. remained friends. Um, we stayed, we all stayed at Engage. Uh, Danny left after a couple of years, but Raghu Raj and I stayed through the end of it. Um, and then we all were, we all were doing our own things. Um, so for the last seven years, we've been starting companies, helping join and build companies. And so we had dinner, um, actually right before um, COVID hit. So I think it was like early March the four of us and we hadn't had dinner in years together wow. and and it was we i mean it was like a five hour um of course yeah <laughs> yeah um seven years what, of uh <laughs> seven years of catching up you know and Ro so raj was the one who said that there's um 
people refer, some people in our industry, in the, the digital agency industry, refer to um, the Spun Mafia. And if so, the PayPal Mafia was, right. you know, that the, is known in Silicon Valley. They built PayPal and then they all went out and did things like, you know, Elon Musk was a part of it, right? So you, they've all started other amazing sure. companies. And so between the four of us, we've started multiple companies in Atlanta. So, so people, and, and a lot of our leaders are running companies that were at SpunLogic now and stuff. So anyways, there's this, maybe a couple people say it, but there's this idea of Spun Mafia. So I was like, you know what, let's, let's get the band back together and have some conversations. So yeah, we've been doing a couple of Zooms and talking about the old days. And there's stories there that no, none of our employees knew. Um, and, and so it's fun to sort of go back and go, well, there's no harm in sharing these now. It's, it's like yeah. been 15 years since we had that company. So yeah, it's been and, fun. And it's also good, I think, to show the entrepreneurial network growth here, you know, in the region and so forth to see that, because that, that's an important piece of it, right? All of you are starting different companies, you're inspiring people, getting that kind of entrepreneur's DNA, you know, uh, spread yeah. throughout the region as well, too. So, all right, so you're engaged. So what did, what did you, what was your role at Engage? How, yeah. You know, it sounded like it lasted a few years and definitely want to start getting to what your next step was after that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Engage was, um, you know, it was my first time. Um, so, so we came together um, with two other agencies. We were the digital side. There was an advertising agency that was larger than us in Columbus, Ohio. They were like 125 people. We were 75. Mm -hmm. And then there was a shop about our size in Austin, Texas. It was direct marketing. Um, and so the idea was put these companies together. They're going to have, you know, three core areas of expertise. So I was um, chief digital officer, which really meant I oversaw digital for the, for the whole company. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was the first time that I'd ever had someone telling me to do, you know, there was mm -hmm. a CEO. Um, I was on the board, but there was a board. Sure. And, uh, I, I struggled that first year a lot. Um, for a while, I thought it was potentially because I was broken. I, 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 I can't work with, you know, someone else telling me what to do. Maybe it's something like that. Even though I went into it excited about having somebody, a leader that I could learn from, because I hadn't been able to do that for 10 years because I was having to be the leader to the, make the big decisions or, or you know, right. get my partners on board. So, um, so, but I, but I realized it's actually that I just very, very, very much dislike the CEO of the company. And uh, so I had, it wasn't problem. about the structure. It was really about, uh, well, uh, it's important. it was about an individual. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, I, at the end of that first year, which by the way, we, we didn't have to stay, um, immediately right. day one, we got, um, uh, our cash and equity and it wasn't an earnout. But the idea was they gave us a nice amount of equity because they wanted us to stay and be a part of it. Sure. That's how engaged, which, which I, which I uh, appreciated. So uh, at, at the end of that first year, I said, all right, I can't just run a department, you know, run digital and quite honestly work with this, this CEO. So um, I went to the board and said, I believe that um, social media and emerging technologies is, is really where we need to focus. Let me have one employee I'll start a new team. I'll call it the digital innovation group dig. And it's almost like I would have my own little startup within, mm -hmm. within engage. So they said, yes. So I gave, you know, all the people that were reporting to me, maybe it was a hundred at that point. I Raj took them and I took my one employee and we had like a, a back room in the office that, that was used <laughs> for storage. And I cleaned a little bit of that out and we started up back there. Um, and so for a year we built that innovation group 
which got to about 20 people. Um, we were working with Chick-fil-A, Coca-Cola. Um, we were early in social because of that. And then that showed me that I really was excited about this company. Um, you know, we'll zoom through um, where I essentially gave the board an ultimatum. Um, <laughs> it was uh, it was me or it was the CEO. Um, and, uh, and I was happy to leave if they didn't see it my way, but they did. So they made some changes and that allowed me to become president of the entire company. And so for the next three years, we really pointed towards social and became known as a social agency. We had 200, huh. 250 people. Um, and then, you know, we sold after a little after five years of, of doing Engage. So um, it was a, it was crazy. It allowed me to see all sorts of different parts of businesses and, and private equity and, um, you know, the, the great things that they bring to companies. So it was, it was a fantastic experience. So, um, so this was the, uh, this is the exit then, you know, you went from, I mean, you had, I guess, an exit with, uh, with, um, with SpunLogic or, or being, becoming part of the organization. So, so what was that? You, you had this, you had this, uh, exit, um, and then what, uh, what was going through the mind of Jeff Hillmeyer then? Cause, because we've just established that you're just naturally curious too. You're always trying to, you know, look, look around the corners. Creatively curious, I think. Yeah, exactly. Something yeah, like that. Um, you mean when we sold Engage? Yeah, yeah. So I had told um, the board, um, uh, let's say nine months before we sold, uh, actually more I told the private equity guys, um, I said, look, I'm not going forward. We were going to sell. That's, that's how private equity works. And I said, I'm not going forward with wherever we sell to. Right. Um, and uh, I knew that would be difficult because um, the CEO, I, I really like the new CEO. Um, he, he, he became a really good friend and he's great. Um, but I was sort of known as the digital guy and we were a mostly digital company. And so I knew whoever was going to acquire us would want both of us to stay. And because that's how agencies work. If, if they, if you acquire an agency and then the leader leaves, you know, there's all sorts of panic and worry that you're right. going to lose clients and whatever. So I told them, I said, look, I know we're going to have to sell. I can't, I'm not going forward. I'm starting my next thing. Um, and so it's probably the main reason we ended up selling to Publicis, which merged us with Moxie here in Atlanta yeah. because um, Moxie had leadership. Um, and I think the last thing they would want is me running around that place, you know, <laughs> creatively disrupting things. Exactly. They had, they had a great business. They were doing their thing. So, so when we sold, I was the only employee um, at Engage that didn't go forward and become a Moxie employee. Hmm. And actually a lot of people um, don't realize that. They're always like, hey, when you were at Moxie, did you know so-and-so? And I was like, well, I, was, was I never was at Moxie. So immediately, actually, I started Dragon Army, um, actually technically two weeks before we signed the paperwork to sell, okay. to sell Engage. So I had start, I was ready and started. So you didn't spend three months just traveling. You went straight into Dragon Army then. I was ready to be an entrepreneur again. I was yeah. dying to be an entrepreneur again. Yeah. So was that, was that the drive? Was it about being coming an entrepreneur and using that platform to kind of explore or, or was it like this whole concept of, of, you know, whatever Dragon Army was, you know, focused to do at the time. So was it about the idea or the opportunity that kind of got you to be excited about Dragon Army? It was the, uh, it was definitely not the idea. Um, it was, um, that I finally would start something again. Um, and, and, uh, Ryan Tuttle, who, who 
um, became my best friend. Um, he worked for me at SpunLogic, then at Engage, um, and really became my right hand um, from an operations perspective. So he and I had always talked about starting a company once I was done with Engage. So, and he came up with the name Dragon Army. He had that in his pocket. So it was more about the energy, the excitement of starting my own thing um, and building something special um, and not have to make compromises. And I was just ready to get back. And I really wanted to try again because I felt like I had gone through almost an MBA mm -hmm. um, over the five years that I've engaged to learn how to actually build a company from others who had done it. So I was just raring to go. Are there things that that experience, particularly at scale uh, with Engage, that you immediately brought into building Dragon Army? Like, you know, are there, are, did it shift how you think as an entrepreneur or as a leader? I think it did more from a financial planning perspective okay. um, and, and a little more rigor around that. You know, the, as I described SpunLogic, we were running... Um, you know, from, from, from crisis to crisis, disaster to disaster, you know, putting out that fire, starting another fire. And we never, and then we started doubling for years, which required us to figure out how to scale and grow and promote people. And so we never really had time to sit and think about how to plan out the business and, and map out a budget and so forth. So I think that's the main thing I learned from Engage that I took to Dragon Army. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I mostly learned things not to do. Um, you know, not to put up with toxic people, yeah. culture type things. Um, you know, I think we were way too conservative, which we had to be because private equity has a plan and, you know, incremental growth is fine to get to a sale. That's fine. But so there were mostly things I think I learned not to do. Um, again, not because they're bad, but at a small scale, you, you really don't want to do those things. So I definitely want to get into some of the, the variety of things that you're also involved with, but so when you describe Dragon Army, and I got to know you while, while it was a, a very young Dragon Army, I guess, at the time. Um, mm -hmm. But when you describe to people, what is Dragon Army? What do you say? Today, we're a purpose-driven digital engagement agency. And when did that purpose-driven uh, become part of what you are? Yeah. So um, in 2012, I went through a program called Leadership Atlanta. So right before we sold Engage, mm -hmm. um, Leadership Atlanta, I went there because... Um, uh, Ken Bernhardt, who gets mentioned on most of these podcasts, um, he was my, my, my number one mentor and advisor and supporter. And so I said to him, as I was getting closer to engage selling, I said, you know, I feel like maybe I want to go get an MBA or something. Like, I, I feel like there's some experience I need that will help me be a better leader when I start my next company. And he said, you've got to go for Leadership Atlanta. And I didn't know why. I just thought, all right. Yeah. So I went through it. Um, I luckily got in and um, very early into the process, you go through a race awareness weekend right. and um, it's a two day program. And it was the, the first time that I really started to see the, the massive amount of privilege that I have as a human being um, that, that I, you know, I certainly worked hard and earned some um, advantages, but most, mostly who I am helped me every step along the way. Um, so I started first seeing how race plays into that. And again, this was almost 10 years ago and seeing that, um, you know, my African-American um, classmates of that leadership Atlanta class, the struggles they were having on a daily basis that I never even had to worry about. Um, mm -hmm you know, um, one, one of them, very successful um, architect, far more successful than I had been, um, telling me that 
at least once a month he's pulled over in his car because mm. he drives a nice Mercedes and never gets a ticket, never gets a ticket, but he just right. gets pulled over and harassed and asked, you know, what's he doing in this neighborhood or something. I've never in my life had that. And, and that's just one tiny example of something that he's dealing with all the time. Maybe it made him late for dinner that night. Maybe his wife was up. Like, it's just like right. everything compounds. And so then I started realizing I'm also a man and, and I have advantages I'm taken more seriously and I shouldn't be, but I am. Um, I'm Christian. I'm straight. Like, so as all that started to happen, I started to, um, I started to land on a personal purpose. Um, and I decided that because I have so many advantages, um, I need to, to be on this earth to have an outsized positive impact on the world. Outsized because the thing I've been able to learn how to do is build things, um, grow things, bring people along. And then it has to be positive because I'm, I'm getting so much, um, so many advantages for nothing. And so, I'll be honest, for the first two or three years of Dragon Army, I struggled with, have, with having a purpose for the company mm -hmm. because what we do is we build things for others. And it, made, it, I was, it was easy for me to see that you know, Nike could say their purpose is, is to uh, make the world healthier. Um, I don't know. That's definitely not it. But let's say they said right. that. They, they make athletic. That's perfect. Like That would work. They could credibly say that. As an agency, we build stuff for Nike. We build stuff for Coca-Cola. We build stuff for Home Depot. I could never find a purpose that I thought would be authentic um, because I was like, well, but tomorrow we may work for a company that doesn't do that. And how do right. we, and then I spent time with um, a couple of experts on purpose and I studied Simon Sinek and I realized that actually um, I could um, create a purpose for the company that was authentic, but that was um, less about the things we do and more about the why we exist. And so we've landed on um, and for the last say four years really focused on our purpose of inspiring happiness. And so everything led to this point where I feel like Dragon Army was the company I was meant to make because we are, we are living into our purpose. Um, we have values that we actually bring to life. At Spun Logic, we, we certainly had a culture, but we never articulated values. We never had a, certainly never had a purpose. Like, I feel like now I'm, I'm seeing a new way to run a company where um, everybody can feel like they're a part of it, that they're contributing to it and that it's doing right. good in the world. We talk about business as a force for good. Like right. I'm a huge believer that businesses should be a force for good in this world. So Dragon Army is a different company entirely than anything I've ever done. Um, and it's very much purpose-led. Yeah, and, and by the way, a, a little bit of a commercial for those of you watching or listening as Jeff and I will, will have an episode where we kind of go deep uh, or a little deeper into purpose and purpose and vision and kind of really explore it. I'm sure we will continue to explore that um, um, over the weeks, months, and years to come. Um, so, and I will say that uh, as I got to know you with Dragon Army, it's definitely a classic example of, you know, Jeff Hillemeyer, the person really having the fingerprint on Dragon Army, the company. And how do you get the people that are part of your organization to be part of that purpose? Because, you know, it's not going to, you know, no one's going to ever be exactly Jeff Hillemeyer, yet, you know, you have this fingerprint of, of you on that. You know, what's that alignment that you do to get that? And you haven't, by the way, haven't been around, you know, Dragon Army team. It's an amazing team. So I know you're doing it. But what's that mm -hmm. secret to do that? Um, 
the part of the secret I think is that um, it, it takes constant, constant work. It takes a long time. Um, yeah. So one of the things that, um, that I've, that we've done for years is um, we have a, a, uh, a purpose, vision, tenets, and values, which is a structure that I've pulled from different sources that, that I think works for my companies. Um, <clears throat> so, um, and I can, I, I won't, but I could recite them word for word. Everyone on my leadership team can recite them word for word. Mm -hmm. um, and we start every company meeting. We start every town hall. Um, we start every leadership team meeting reciting those. And so that's a simple thing, but it reinforces to people how important it is. It can feel mm -hmm. a little culty. So we've had new people join and um, <laughs> they're seeing people just word for word recite this <laughs> this thing and it can be like everybody's here is drinking the kool-aid but there's things like that 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 help um you know we we a couple of years ago changed our annual we we had an annual planning day right where it's right. like november and you're planning for the next year we've completely changed that to be an annual inspire happiness day and it's hmm. all about <clears throat> our purpose and how we can how we did this year against our purpose of inspiring happiness, how we can do more forward um, over the next year. Uh, anytime I talk about profit or revenue goals with the company, I remind everybody that there's a reason that we want to grow. There's a reason that we want to be a healthy, profitable company because it allows us to do more to inspire happiness. Right. The larger we are, the more volunteer hours we can do. The more we can work with nonprofits and build their websites for free, the more we can um, donate. Like there's, there's strength there that allows us to make a bigger impact. So we're, and by the way, we also run something called the great game, which is complete open book transparency on numbers. So everybody in our company sees all of our financials and have live access to that so that they know where we're putting our, our money. Um, right. And so I'm just trying to create a different type of business in a culture where everybody really believes it so that it doesn't, to your point, it's not just, it's not just me. That's the one saying it. And anytime I hear someone say in the company, wait, but our, um, you know, part of our value is to, um, you know, celebrate diversity. Are we doing that here? When they reference the thing that we're sure. saying all the time, it reinforces to me that they're hearing it and absorbing it and then appreciating it. Um, yeah. and so it's not going to be for everybody. Um, we're starting now to take more stances on voter registration and things of that nature. Cause we think we can help make an impact there. There's going to be people who don't believe in voter registration. Right, <laughs> so right. they're not going to come to dragon army and I'm fine with that. So the more I can make it everybody and it's not, which is, I think what's happening, um, the better, but certainly in the beginning, I was the only one reciting that, you know, call it five years ago. And I'm sure I looked like a loon up in front of everyone <laughs> doing it, but I just committed to it and said, you've got to do the hard work and keep repeating and keep, reinforcing and, and eventually everyone will have it. Yeah. And, and I'm sure that, uh, you know, um, you know, there's, it's interesting because I feel like you're ahead of the curve of an evolution that you're seeing, even one of the biggest companies in the world having to be, you know, purposeful. And, and then, become, then of course, the question is how authentic is it, mm -hmm. you know, um, and so forth. So I think you're well ahead of the curve on that. I want to, you, you're also starting to communicate a lot of that through, through your books and a few things, which we'll get to in a minute, but um, kind, of, kind of a quick pivot on that. So, um, you have, you know, a beautiful, wonderful family. So first of all, what's, how do you achieve or even define work-life balance? Oh, really good question. Um, 
So I was bad at right. it. And early. do you even call it work-life balance? Because some people you say, say there is no such thing as a balance in some cases. Uh, I, I don't shy away from using that term. Um, one of the things I, there's one of the things I try to work with my leadership team on is, um, them finding balance, um, because they, some of them work way too hard and too many hours and I don't want that for them. You know, I want them to be able to be with their family. Um, so early on, I was terrible about it. Um, and, um, in terms of like always thinking about the business, um, you know, I think at one point on a Sunday, um, my wife was like, what are you, what are you thinking about? And I said, I can't wait to go to work tomorrow morning, um, on a Monday morning. And she was like, well, that makes me feel great. <laughs> We're sitting here hanging out. <laughs> that's a good, that's actually, like, that's a, you know, and that was a learning lesson for me. I'm like, excellent well, I, observation. I also love being here with you. I just, um, there's so much excitement. So when you right. love your job, um, it is hard to turn it off and not think about it having a purpose. So I really believe that when the, the success of Dragon Army will help me achieve more of my purpose of having an outsized positive impact on the world. So if yeah. we're more successful, we're gonna, it's going to help me live into that more. So it does allow me to feel fine ebbing and flowing and, and you know, working for an hour here or there. Um, but I've, I've, I've definitely gotten better as I have you know, five children. You can see some of their artwork if you're watching. Um, of, of, of making sure that I'm understanding, um, there's time for them. And, and they're certainly my most important, the most important part of my life. And, um, so, but it's, it's hard to turn off, um, when you have that entrepreneurial thing going on. And so, and I guess it's one of that blend of how do you get your family involved in it to a certain point as well, too. Yeah. Uh, and you're pretty transparent. I noticed, uh, you know, with, with, with you, you're, you're also pretty transparent even with your family and social media and all that you share you authentically share, you know, experiences mm-hmm. for them to feel like you weaved in beautifully your family with what you do and your purpose. Um, so how do you describe yourself then today? I mean, do you describe yourself when some say, Hey, I, you know, Jeff, and you introduce yourself, do you right off the bat, is that your first statement is I'm, I lead a company called Dragon Army or how, but you, you have so many other things. You have a couple books, you have so much that you do, you speak, mm-hmm. You have your family, you have purpose-driven elements, you have, uh, in fact, we haven't even had a chance to talk about it. You have your, your, your elements of, of social impact, a nonprofit with ripples of hope. So when someone says, Jeff, what, you know, what do you do? What do you say? <laughs> I, I usually just say I'm the CEO of Dragon Army. Yeah. Um, and leave it at that. And, and we can go from there. Um, if I were just to, to say what, you know, what I am to you, I, I would probably say entrepreneur. Yeah, um, that's the that's the closest thing to to what I feel I am. Um, but yeah, it's yeah, I don't want to be like I'm a I'm I'm a I'm everything. an author. I'm a I'm, I do all yeah. It's so I just yeah I start with CEO of Dragon Army. Um, it's the main platform. Um, it's it's sort of the most important thing that I focus on because I know that um, Dragon Army unlocks um, everything else that I want to do. Um, and it's it's right now at least the best chance for me to do the most good um, and to impact the most lives because we have team members and if they're happier um, and they are ex- exposed to more nonprofit opportunities, they're going to do more good. So I feel like that's uh, that's the main thing right now. And, and talk a little bit about that nonprofit side because it is, you know, I think you're seeing that a lot of leaders in terms of how do they use their success to help others. And so talk a little bit, you know, they start with 40 and 48, but now you have something mm-hmm. called ripples of hope, but how do you lean into helping other people that, that are doing good? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so again, as I think about, um, having an outsized positive impact, it's one thing if you just take, we'll talk about 48 and 48, it'd be one thing for me to build a website for a nonprofit. 
it's an entire other thing for me to get 200 people to volunteer their time to build 48 nonprofit websites. That's how I can have that outsized positive impact. So in um, 2015, um, I had this idea of um, what if we put on a hackathon and brought the marketing and technology community of Atlanta together to, to build um, potentially 48 websites for nonprofits in 48 right. hours. And um, grabbed uh, a good friend, Adam Walker, um, and uh, who, whose company was doing WordPress websites. And I said, do you think this is possible? He said, yes. So then together we, we started 48 and 48. Uh, put on our first event in October. And again, it was, I thought it would just be a one-time right. event. We're just trying it out. And um, I mean, we literally had well over a hundred people show up um, and spend a Friday afternoon to a Sunday afternoon building nonprofit websites. And it was right. that late on Sunday where multiple people were coming up exhausted, um, just, you know, and saying, hey, um, can I go ahead and put my name on the list for next year? I don't want to miss out. And I was just struck by that because I'm like, these, these people have given so much of their time. They're not with their families. They're not playing Frisbee. They're not, you know, yeah. and, and not only that, they, they liked it so much that they don't want to miss out next year. Not only, hey, right. tell me when. They were like, mm -hmm. I want to. And so that really was like, wow. So this thing really is for the volunteers because um, number one, they're probably volunteering more time in that weekend than they did the entire year normally. Right. But they're also more likely to do more good. They're more likely to, to, to volunteer in the future. They're probably rubbing off on their friends and family. And so that's when I was like, all right, this is something that if I put my energy into, I can build into an organization that's having a big impact. Um, so now five years later, we've done over 20 events. We've done a couple in London. The Atlanta event gets over 500 people. Um, we have Delta and State Farm and IBM and amazing companies that are a part of it. And now I chair the board. There's somebody running it and it's sort of this evolving thing, but I, I was able to start it and get it going. And now it's continuing to make a big impact and I can help steer the ship a little bit, but mainly it's an organization that's rolling. So that was the first nonprofit I started. And then um, last year I started uh, my second one, which is called Ripples of Hope, um, which you mentioned that um, really is, um, as I lean more into privilege, I'm realizing that um, uh, nonprofits um, don't get nearly the attention that the tech startups get. Um, they don't get the funding or the mentors right. or the advice. Um, and you have these people that have given their lives to make a difference because they're all about passion and, and yet they're not, classically trained business leaders. And so Ripples of Hope is a hybrid mentorship, um, curriculum, cohort, peer group um, program for two years for um, nonprofit leaders to be able to really scale their business. So I'm, I'm really into, I'd, I'd much rather the, the nonprofit in Atlanta that's trying to end homelessness scale and have a big exit which for them would mean ending homelessness. I'd rather that happen than the next tech startup sure. have an IPO, right? And so right. that's the idea of Ripples of Hopes. And, and we'll start small in Atlanta, take our time with it. But I obviously have bigger plans if, if this thing can work. That's great. So um, one thing I don't want to, um, I, I sure, want to make sure you also talk about as well, is you are an accomplished author. And uh, so, so kind of give a, give a, give a plug. I'm going to act like we're in a radio show show here. So give a plug of your two books, Jeff Hillemeyer. Yeah. Well, it's funny. <laughs> it's funny that you mention it. 
Um, <laughs> I actually have the first copy of the second book I wrote, The Crisis Turned Around. If you were more sophisticated, it'd be a beautiful graphic coming over <laughs> here and all that. But yeah. <laughs> I can probably work that out. There um, we go. Maybe I should, yeah. As I say that, it's going right. to get edited in. We'll do that. Yeah. So um, I always wanted to write a book. Um, and so a couple of years ago, I wrote my first book called The Five Day Turnaround. The idea yeah. is for um, non entrepreneur leaders to lead like entrepreneurs. And the real reason I wrote that is because uh, most of my clients are executive level leaders at big corporations and they're, they're, they've been climbing the corporate ladder and they're just not having fun anymore. And yeah. they're like, what, what am I doing? Right. It's almost like a new midlife crisis. And so as I thought about it, I thought I've never a day in my life, not loved my job. There's been hard days, but as an entrepreneur, you love what you're doing. And I, I spent time thinking about, could that apply to non-entrepreneurs? Right. And, you know, I use you as an example. You're an entrepreneur now, but you hadn't always been. But I always felt like you had that spirit. And I saw that you loved what you were doing. And if you didn't, you tried to change it, which right. is a, an entrepreneurial trait. So that's what the first book is. It's focused on that. And it's also I, I partly written so that I could give it to a nonprofit leader and say, look, here's things you could read about that'll help you think more entrepreneurially and hopefully grow your business. Right. Um, and then um, the next, this, the crisis turnaround I wrote during this pandemic, um, it just occurred to me that uh, there aren't a lot of books written about how to lead a, a company, a team, a business during a massive crisis. Um, so maybe it's a niche book that only works this year and never works again, but there's leadership principles in there that I think are relevant regardless of whether you're, whether you're not in a crisis. Um, and I, I just was like, I got to put my energy into something. And so I, so I pumped that book out. So now it's called the, the leadership turnaround series. Um, I'm working on the uh, third book. So um, yeah, so it's fun. It's fun to write. Um, yeah, and I, I know he's a compliment and give Jeff a hard time because, you know, you know, he's an accomplished author of multiple books now. As I'm trying to write my first <laughs> book. So yeah. I'm trying to see if I could beat him this summer to my, with my first book while well, he writes his third book. I can't one, wait. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know. But he's able to lock himself. That's where, that's where your focus comes in. You're able to lock in and get it done. So no, it's, it's great. Yeah. So definitely check it out. So look, before we wrap up here, a few things. A few quick, give me some quick response to this. Um, okay. So are you, do you prefer going to the theater or streaming or watching streaming services? Movie streaming. theater or streaming? Streaming. Really? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, for well, sure. we'll come back yeah. to that at some point. <laughs> um, <Yes>. Favorite food? <laughs> um, Bluebell homemade vanilla ice cream. <laughs> I love that you went ahead and classified that into your food category. It's, it's very important. They have a, uh, what do they have? Like a vanilla bean or something. It's not the same. You need the homemade vanilla ice cream. Do you have a favorite food that does not require 40 grams of sugar? <laughs> um, I No, probably not. Then my, my, <laughs> my tie is um, Lou Malnati's um, uh, deep dish sausage pizza, um, which, is, which is only there in Chicago. Yeah. There you go. Favorite uh, Atlanta restaurant? Oh, it's and you can be... pick two if you want. If you, there might be one for family, one for non-family. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be the Castellucci uh, Hospitality Group. Um, they're an amazing company. Um, I love. I, I know their their owners. Um, so they have um, Cooks and Soldiers, which I love. Oh, Iberian yeah, Big, oh, yeah. which is great. Yeah. Um, they've got some amazing restaurants. So if, if I get a chance, I try to go to one of theirs. And what's uh, what's your favorite 
kind of getaway or place to visit or vacation, however you want to classify it? Honestly, I'm there right now. So we have a place in Big Canoe. It's north of, it's like an hour and a half north of Atlanta. It's like a little uh, mountain community. Um, so we have a house there. And since quarantine, we've pretty much been up here. This is like a closet that I can touch both sides, basically, that I've made into my <laughs> office. But I honestly prefer it over almost any place or trip. I mean, you know, we've been on great trips. Um, we loved Scotland a couple of years ago, but I love getting here because it's just calm and relaxed. Um, I'm, I'm an introvert at heart. You may not know that about me, but um, I like just being relaxed and having some coffee out on the back. And writing, and writing an, an incredibly <laughs> generous amount of books while you blog. So as we wrap up to, um, you actually blog quite a bit and you've also been doing some other podcasting and you use the title Begin the Begin. Mm-hmm. Where did that come from? Yeah, so Begin the Begin is one of my two favorite REM songs. REM's my favorite band. Um, yep. And uh, begin to begin to me, like, you know, it's, it's, it's this call to action. It's this call to get started. Um, you know, when I talk to entrepreneurship uh, classes or groups um, or people that want to start companies, for instance, um, I always hear, well, I'll, I'll start my company, but I need more time. I need more research. I need this. Mm. I need that. And it's like, you yeah. gotta, you gotta start. The world is full of people who have dreams that they never went after them. And so begin the begin is like almost a, a mental reminder for me. Like you got to get started. Um, you got to put something out there. So um, yeah, I just love the spirit of that. It's actually, I think not what the song is about, but it's begin the begin just sounds, sounds good to me. And by the way, I think that's one of the strongest entrepreneurial traits. I've heard people who've gotten advice from you and it's, you know, it's like, you'll beat somebody and say, oh, I met with Jeff and he gave me some advice of this, that, or the other. And it's funny, but this is before you and I even really talked about what Begin to Begin means, but effectively comes back to that. Just start, you know, just start getting something out there, which I think is a pretty, I think that to me is such even more of an entrepreneur, critical entrepreneurial trait than many of the others that, you know, kind of get the press. So that's great. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the, it's the core one. Cause if you don't do that, you're never going to be an entrepreneur. You're never going to start yeah. something. Yeah. And, and that could, and I think, you know, and by the way, just another plug, there's a, Jeff and I spent a lot of time talking about entrepreneurial versus corporate and where there's, mm-hmm. you know, when there's some commonalities on that, that you could find on YouTube or, or your podcast platform. But, um, but, but that is such a, critical part and and i think it would apply not just to being an entrepreneur in terms of starting a company but even in, in corporate life if you don't begin to begin it, it it's a rebel which is so much of what you write about and talk about as well too yeah. so finally jeff edelmeyer before i wrap up what inspires you what gets you up every day um because i know you change your answer for monday mornings but just in general <laughs> what 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 gets you going in every aspect of your life wow um that's a really good question. Uh, you know, I, I love seeing, uh, I'll give the, the first thing that came to mind. I, I love seeing my children um, grow into um, young people that have empathy. Hmm. Um, to me, uh, you know, as I try to have an outsized positive impact on the world, um, I do think no matter how many businesses I start and, and things I get involved in that if I can put five humans out into the world that um, really believe they're there to make the world a better place, whatever that ends up meaning for them, um, that that is, is the biggest impact that I could possibly have. And so when I see them, um, 
talk about a problem when I, you know, I've heard some of them on conversations with their friends, um, talk about things that, um, that show me that they're thinking about other people's feelings. Um, we talk about a lot of the issues going on in the world with our children. So I, I think it's, it's my children inspire me because they make me want to be a better example for them. They make me want to um, be a better human because I'm, I'm hopeful that that rubs mm -hmm. off on them so that they, they go into the world and make a difference. Well, that, that, well, that is a very good thing that keeps you inspired. And I think you inspire qu uh, quite a bit of people out there as well too. And I know, um, and I say this with all sincer uh, sincerity, for those who don't know Jeff, um, you get to know Jeff because you get to know people around Jeff who starts saying amazing things about Jeff. So uh, definitely inspiring many people around him. And it's uh, and Jeff, it's great to be partnering with you on this project here with the Jeff and Alex podcast. And so hopefully uh, people got to know you a little better and we'll continue to get to know you and us uh, throughout the series and, and uh, as we interact with other people and start talking to each other about just uh, things that uh, keep, keep us both inspired and hopefully uh, keep you inspired too as you listen and, and watch as well. So Jeff, thanks. Yeah, thank you, Alex. That was fun. That was fun. And uh, make sure you uh, also follow Jeff on social media uh, and follow us in general to hear uh, so much more. And we will see you here next time.